0: We've uh, been scrambling to get it all figured out, but what a blessing it is just to hear the Word of God, just to sing these Christmas hymns and just hear these songs that just um, remind us of the goodness of this moment. Um, You are coming in, if you attend here, you know where we have been in the Word, and if you're new, we are currently in a series the last two months called Behold, where we are looking at different attributes of God, what makes God um, God, and tonight um, we come to the humanity of God as seen in the person of Jesus Christ. Wayne Grudem, a great theologian, says that the res- or excuse me that the incarnation of Christ, the humanity of Christ is by far the most amazing miracle in all of the Bible, far more amazing he says than the resurrection and more amazing than the creation of the universe. The fact that the infinite, omnipotent, eternal son of God could become man and join himself to a human nature forever, so that infinite God became one person with finite man will remain for eternity the most profound miracle and the most profound mystery in all of the universe. So tonight we are here celebrating a miracle and a mystery. And we know according um, to all that we have read tonight that the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, entered history at a certain point in time. We know that according to the words of the Apostle John, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. As St. Augustine so eloquently summed it up, the maker of man became man so that he, the ruler of the stars, might be nourished at the breast, that he, the bread, might become hungry, that he, the fountain, might thirst, that he, the light, might sleep, that he, the way, might be wearied by the journey, that he, the truth, might be accused of by false witnesses, that he, the judge of the living and dead, might be brought to trial by a mortal judge, that he who is altogether just might be condemned by the unjust, that he, the foundation, might be suspended in the air, that courage might be weakened, that security might be wounded, and that he, the life, might die." All of that was in the manger as a child. And we know that a baby changes everything. If you've ever had that happen in your home, it changes everything. And history records a very interesting footnote. It was during the dark winter of 1864 at Petersburg, Virginia, where the Confederate Army of Robert E. Lee faced the Union divisions of General Ulysses S. Grant, The war was now three and a half years old, and the glorious charge had long since given way to the muck and the mire of trench warfare. Yet late one evening, one of of Lee's generals, Major General George Pickett, received word that his wife had given birth um, to a baby boy. Up and down the line, the Southerners began to build huge bonfires in celebration of this event. Yet these fires did not go unnoticed in the northern camps, Um, as soon a very nervous Grant sent out a reconnaissance patrol to see what was going on. The scouts soon returned with a message that the fires were celebratory in nature because Pickett's son um, had been born. And it so happened that Grant and and Pickett um, were contemporaries at West Point, and they knew each other well. So to honor the occasion, Grant ordered that the bonfires should be built on their side. What a peculiar night it was. For miles on both sides of the line, fires burned. No shots were fired, no yelling back and forth, no war was fought. Only light celebrating the birth of a baby. But as we know, sadly, the silence didn't last forever. Soon the fires burned down, and once again the darkness took over. Darkness of night and darkness of war. And here's what we know in our world today, many people still live in that kind of darkness. Many people live in the darkness of sin, the darkness of depression, the darkness of circumstances, the darkness of betrayal, the darkness of guilt. Yet the good news of Christmas is that in the midst of great darkness, a light has come. And that light is wrapped in human flesh and darkness could not overcome that light. And that light was not just a temporary flicker, but an eternal flame. And so the Christmas story that we are here celebrating tonight declares that this light still shines. And the truths concerning this light deserve to be known. They deserve to be cherished. They deserve to be um, lifted up and exalted. And what we must never, ever forget is why Jesus came. For what purpose did he come? And tonight most of us are here and we are united by a hope that we share. It's a a hope that is anchored in in the Son of God, anchored in the Word of God. But the thing is tonight we are not just here celebrating that a baby came to earth. We are celebrating why he came. The why matters here. So we're, we're going to tonight unpack this this picture just, just real quick. I'm going to remind you, we're not only gonna, are we going to talk about the humanity of Christ, we're going to talk about why he took on humanity, why he came to earth. And the why is absolutely glorious. So I'm going to give you five things just real quick, and I promise you I'm going to fly through these. So five reasons that Christ came and took on flesh for us. The first is this. Jesus Came, and He became human to show the wealth of God's love toward us. To show the wealth of God's love. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Right from the very beginning of time, God's love has always reached out and reached out and reached out. And from the very beginning, man has refused to accept God's love. Yet God, in His grace and mercy, kept reaching, kept pursuing, kept calling. Then in the person of Christ, God's love did something amazing. God's love reached down all the way to the earth, to the very deepest pits. His love reached across, across lines of, of race and gender and ethnicity, his love reached wide and that it embraced the whole world, not just the bigness of the world as we talked about yesterday, but the, the badness of the world, the wickedness of the world. I shared something yesterday and I've got to share it again tonight um, because we, this deserves to be heard over and over and over again. The year was 1867. Henry Morehouse, a young pastor from England, had made his way to Illinois Street Church in Chicago to preach for Dwight L. Moody. He preached a week-long series on messages on John 3.16, declaring that he would keep preaching the same message until the people got it. I think I'm going to start using that method. We'll see how long that takes. But during his last sermon, Morehouse said to the people, I have been trying to tell you how much God loves you. Suppose I could borrow Jacob's ladder. Suppose I could ascend that shining stairway. Until my feet stood on streets of gold. Suppose I could find Gabriel and ask him how much does God love the world. I know what Gabriel would say. He would say, Henry Morehouse, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting or eternal life. That is how much God loves the world. And there it is, the clearest explanation of the gospel. God looked down from heaven. God is a father. He's always been a father. He saw us as children suffering in our sin. And he would not let us perish. Are you thankful for that? That God would not let us perish. So his son wrapped himself in flesh, came to earth in search of us. And we killed him. But we didn't realize that he was paying the penalty for our sin so that if we believe, we might have life everlasting. Think of it like this God loves, God gave, we believe, we live. God loves, God gave, we believe, we live. So Jesus came to show the wealth of God's love towards us. Secondly, Jesus came to save us and endure God's wrath due us. So Jesus came to save us and to endure God's wrath that was due us. So we are reconciled to God only through Jesus Christ, only through His life, through His death, through His resurrection. But what we need to be constantly reminded of is why Jesus came to die. And what was it about his death that makes it possible for us, everyone in this room, to be forgiven of our sins? So think about it. What was it about the death of Christ that makes it possible for everyone in this room and everyone in this world and everyone throughout history to be saved from their sins because of it? And this is where we need to be reminded that we are not saved from our sins because Jesus was falsely tried and sentenced to death by Roman persecutors. We're not saved from our sin because they put a crown of thorns upon His head. We're not saved from our sins because they beat Him and mocked Him and scourged Him and spit on Him. We're not saved from our sins because they nailed nails in His hands and in His feet and hung Him on a wooden cross. We're not saved from our sins because of all the torture that um, was inflicted upon Him. Other people endured just... uh, Other kinds of punishment and similar kinds of punishment. But the point is this, we are able to be saved from our sin because on the cross, Jesus satisfied the wrath of God that you and I deserved. Jesus was pierced for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. At the cross, Jesus took on flesh and Jesus took a cup That was filled with the wrath of God. And Jesus drank every last drop of that cup. He then turned the cup upside down. Showing it was empty. And declared it is finished. This is what he has done for us. He came to save us. And endured God's wrath that we deserve. Three. Jesus came and coming to shatter the work of the enemy. Over us. So Jesus came to shatter the work of the enemy, of Satan himself. And let me just be very clear about something tonight. Jesus did not take on flesh and come to the earth so that you and I could have our best life now. Let me just throw that out there. Um, anytime somebody comes to you and says you can have your best life right now, they're doing exactly what Satan did to Eve in the garden. So just understand what, what that is. The, the point is God has never promised us the best now. He's always promised us the best is yet to come. So let's understand that reality. So think about this. Um, I, I, think, I love the words of John Piper. It said the reason there is a Christmas is because God aimed to destroy something. That's the reason there's a Christmas. Because God wanted something and needed something to be destroyed. The works of the devil. Think about this. In John 10, Satan comes to steal, kill, destroy. 2 Corinthians 4.4, Satan blinds the eyes of unbelievers, keeping them from seeing the glory of the gospel. Revelation chapter 12, Satan is an accuser of the brethren. And those works are real from the enemy and they touch all of our lives. And Jesus came to set free what was bound. Understand this brothers and sisters tonight, before we were born again, we were in bondage to sin and Satan. Because of Christ, we who were dead in trespasses and sins are like Lazarus able to respond to the call of Christ to come forth. And when you and I respond to that, he speaks to us as he spoke to those around Lazarus saying, Loose him and let him go. If the Son has set us free, we are free indeed. The works of Satan have been shattered because of the work of Christ on the cross. Understand why he came to shatter the work of the enemy over us. And then number four, Jesus came to serve us and accomplish a work through us. He came to serve us and accomplish a work through us. Listen to Mark ten forty-five. Jesus says, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus did not come to be served by us. He came in order to serve us. He came in order to help us. He served us by doing what we could never do for ourselves. Yet let me say this. Jesus' service for us did not stop at the cross. So what does that mean? It means every time Jesus calls us to do something, every time Jesus speaks into your heart and life, calling you to do something, He is telling you how He desires to serve you. He calls us to do things, and we say, I could never do that. And Jesus says, of course you can't, but I can. And I want to serve you again and again and again in doing it. When Jesus leads us into difficult places, or when Jesus calls us to do difficult things, He will always enable us, through His service, to do whatever He calls us to do. He never allows us to do it in our own strength. He never wants us to do it in our own strength. It's always him serving us. And in doing that, there is a work that's being done for his glory. And then lastly, number five, Jesus came to show us, and this is a long one, but it's a good one, that even the worst evil will turn out good for us. Even the worst evil will turn out for good. In Genesis 50, Joseph says to his brothers, What you meant for evil. You meant this for evil, but God meant it for good. God is able to take all that is evil and all that is wicked and he is able to work it together for our good and for his glory. Think about the the evil and the suffering that Christ endured. And what did God do with all of that evil and suffering? He turned it for our good. So that we might be saved. The lashes on His back. The thorns on On his head, the spit on his cheek, the bruises that he endured on his body, the nails in his hands and feet, the spear that went in his side, the the scorn of the rulers and the people, the betrayal and the desertion of his disciples were all the results of sin and none of them were good on their own. They were all very bad, but God turned Every difficulty that Jesus faced for your good and for my good. And these are just a few of the reasons why Jesus came for us. Every single one of these verses declares good news for us. And it's good news to those of us who have been saved for year after year after year after year after year. And it is good news for any that are in here tonight that's never trusted Christ as your Savior and Lord. But think about that. It's good news for all of us. So in order to bring about all of this for us, God's Son had to become human so that He could suffer and die in your place and mine. And that, brothers and sisters, is the true meaning of Christmas. And it centers on the necessity of Jesus becoming one of us. In fact, Hebrews 2.17 puts it this way. Therefore... He had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. So therefore, to sum it up tonight, in Christ, the one who is God in the flesh, We have a love that cannot be imagined. We have a joy that cannot be diminished. We have a peace that we can't even understand. We have a hope that will never ever disappoint us. We have a life that can never die. A righteousness his righteousness that can never be tarnished. We have a rest in him that can never be disturbed. We have a glory that can never be clouded, a purity that can never be defiled, a beauty that can never itself be marred, resources that can never be exalted, a life that can never or light, excuse me, that can never be darkened. And in Christ, we have a work that can never be undone. For what he did for us can never, ever be undone. Praise him. Glory to God in the highest for what he has done for us, his people. I'm going to go ahead and ask you to stand. And in just a second, the musicians are going to come back up and we are going to close tonight out by doing a few things. We're going to sing another Christmas carol and a beautiful Christmas carol while at the same time we're going to participate in Communion. And um, getting lights up here as well. So um, one of the things we always say, just, just a very clear reminder that what we're about to do in communion is not for everyone. So it is not for everyone. If, if you are here and you have never trusted Christ um, as your Savior and Lord, we would ask you to only participate by viewing us, by observing us. Do not um, participate in this. Um, if, if you are parents here tonight and your kids have not um, trusted Christ, we would encourage you, as hard as that might be, um, just to not let them participate. This is something that um, is, is so glorious because of what it means for those who have understood God's grace and mercy in Christ. In fact, we read a couple weeks ago, the angels even look and want to know about grace that has been lavishly poured upon us. And we are here celebrating that tonight and rejoicing in that. So I'm going to go ahead and ask Brother Curtis, um, Dean, if you can help me out tonight right over here, please, and then Brother Frank. And uh, in just a second, what what they are going to do is um, the singing is going to start, and they're going to kind of... Uh, dismiss you where you are from your aisle if you're over here you're going to go this way if you're over here you're going to go this way if you're here you're going to go um, this way and we ask that as you approach the table um, and we're going to pray and just prepare our hearts for this but as you take the bread just say this you know his his body take the cup his blood and then say for me it's the essence of